Good morning, Grace Chapel. Looking forward to saying that. I'm done. Um, It's a pleasure to be able to share God's Word with you today as we continue in this study of the book of Acts. Um, I'm excited to share what God has put on my heart as we continue our worship together. Um, It's been a, I'd just like to say, after being in ministry for some time, stepping out, it's been a joy for us Kristen and I to be connected here at Grace Chapel. Um, Our first Sunday here was actually the Sunday when Victor was installed, and so we kind of got to sense uh, the heart of the church for its pastors, which was a very uh, cool thing, and uh, we just, I just want to thank you for being a place of humility and joy, and it's been a very healing, wonderful thing for us. So our, our passage today is in the, the book of Acts, chapter 19, as we look at Paul's missionary journeys. We really see the hand of God um, in the early church, and we consider what is it like when God really gets a hold of his people, and what happens in the world. Fascinating story today, and think about how it applies to our lives. Kind of a little-known New Testament story, uh, there is this Massive riot that occurs in a cosmopolitan city, a Greek goddess. There is an an outdoor theater that seats like 30,000 people, and there's this mob that gathers there, and there is two hours of frenzied yelling and shouting and chanting and confusion. It's pretty dramatic stuff, right? And like, like, oh, wait, that's in the Bible. Okay, so let's think about that together. It's very dramatic. It's this incident that happened long ago, but we want to think about what God is wanting to uh, say to us and listen to that um, as we uh, think about a subject that um, author and social critic Oz Guinness calls the most discussed problem in the Bible and one of the most powerful and the most powerful spiritual and intellectual concepts in the believer's arsenal. It's the subject of idolatry. Kind of seems like an ancient thing, maybe something that has very little to do with us, but has so much to do with us when we really stop and think about it and so powerful and helpful to us. Um, So let's look at uh, Acts chapter 19 and uh, beginning with verse 23. The text says, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus... But in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods, and that there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. Let's stop there and consider what uh, this 
is, is saying to us, this, I, I love the phrases here, no little disturbance. Demetrius Sparks, no little disturbance. Sort of sounds very Tom Osborne-esque to me, you know, kind of understated. No little disturbance. It's a great disturbance. It's a massive disturbance. And Demetrius is a, a man who brings no little business to Ephesus, right? He is a, a man of wealth, a man of power, a man of influence, a man of business, um, that has a significant position. He's really the villain, if you will, of this story. Um, he's an idolater. He's an idol worshiper. But I think as we'll see, um, all of us have the same villainous thing operating inside of us. He's mad, we can see, at Paul. He's mad at the Christians. Their message is hitting him in the wallet, right? On the spreadsheet. He, is, he and many others are losing money as people lose interest in Artemis, this goddess who is worshipped in Ephesus and around um, the world. Um, she is known as the, in the Roman name as uh, Diana, and she is uh, sometimes thought of or called the lady of the animals. She is a, a goddess of fertility and uh, the protector of fertility and prosperity. Ah, a prosperity idol. So Artemis is uh, this, the idol of, particularly of Ephesus. There is a, a incredible, magnificent temple built to her in Ephesus that so much though it was a, a tourist destination, it was a place to, to go, a place to see um, for people not just of the city. It was, the temple, in fact, was one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. So just like we might be proud of our memorial stadium or our Pinnacle Bank Arena, they had their, they had their place that uh, they were proud of. Um, so it brought um, Paul and his gospel message we're making an impact, though, on that business, and um, it was not just as Paul was there, and he, he actually spent about three years in Ephesus, and it was making an impact, this, this time that he sent, spent there, and the, the Christians, and how they started to change their beliefs, and their attitudes, and even their, their spending habits, um, as they stopped spending their money on some things, started spending it on other things, better things. It made a difference. So Demetrius gathers these people together to say, we're not going to take this anymore. We've got to put a stop to this. And he stirs up uh, a speech that is designed to rile them up to uh, defend the goddess Artemis, to defend their idols, and perhaps some other idols that are standing alongside Artemis, perhaps their money, perhaps their pride, um, perhaps uh, other things as well. Let, let's think and stop for a minute and ask the question, what really is an idol? What is an idol? We can think of these silver statues that Demetrius and his tradesmen and craftsmen made in a, 
a, a factory or a, a craftsman's shop of, of some kind. I have, I have a little statuette at home of Lady Liberty holding the torch because I went on a trip with Kristen to New York City and we got to see the Statue of Liberty and it was cool and we said, let's bring home something to remember that trip and we got, we got us a little statue. Okay, so it, it could take the shape of a statue or a totem or something that we might think of the shape of and have that kind, those kinds of edges, that, that kind of shape. But it seems that idols come together in groups, right? So Demetrius, his idol wasn't just these things that he made. What else did they care about? Money, right? They were losing money. And, whatever, and what money represents, control, power, meaning, my status, who I am. A silver statue could be a shape, money could be a shape, and just the pride. Think of the pride that Demetrius was trying to defend, uh, the pride of his city, the pride of his people, all of those kinds of things. So if we really stop to think about it, I'm, I'm going to give you a definition of an idol. Consider whether this is, fits with what you know, what the scripture says. Idols are made in our hearts and are the shape of anything that pushes God from the center of our affections. Let me say that one more time. Idols are made in our hearts and are the shape of anything that pushes God from the center of our affections. And so the idolater isn't just them. If we think about it that way, we wrestle with idols. In fact, Scripture makes it very clear that it's not just um, people who are not God-fearers or God-followers or disciples of Jesus that may give themselves to idols. It's, it's believers as well. Um, it's the people of God as well. Scripture says that it's a major issue. Um, if we think about Exodus chapter 20, the first commandment, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. We just sang about this. Out of the house of slavery, you shall have no gods before me. And he says it not in this Charlton Heston I am the Lord your God, not this kind of intimidating voice, but I think he says it in love, beckoning us um, to him and into freedom and out of um, the bondage that we have. In in 1 John chapter 5, John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. He's talking to believers. So this is something we should think about in our own lives and in our own hearts. Um, some idols might be very obvious to us. You know, as obvious as a statue might be, it might be something that is uh, something illegal or illicit or a bad habit that's obvious to us. This should not be a part of my life. It could be an addiction. This should not be a part of my life, but it is. That could be an idol in our, in our life that has a hold on us, has... has um, um, has us in some kind of bondage. But as I've been praying and thinking about idols and reading this text, it's also true that there are much more subtle forms of idols as well. 
ones that are harder for us to identify but are worth identifying in our own lives. And if we want to help people we love, we should be watchful for them as well. So let me just, I I can't list them all because it would take too long. There are millions, right? But let's just think of a few. Uh, What about the idol of being the best? Can that be an idol? Like competition can be a good thing, a healthy thing, but being the best at whatever it is, being the best mother, the best athlete, the best team, the best student, the best in my field can be an idol. It can be something that pushes God out of the center of our affections. And now it's not just a good, healthy, competitive, I want to be, the, I want to be as good as I can be. Now I'll do whatever it takes, even if I know God doesn't like it, to try to be the best. Uh, it can be subtle things. It can be things that are good things, like family. Do we think about that? That family can be an idol. Friends can be an idol. Marriage can be an idol. Romance can be an idol. Hobbies, food. All of these things that are a part of our lives, and so they're everywhere. We can't like just say, well, I'm, not, I'm going to not just have anything to do with any of those things, and now I'm safe. That's, just, that's the thing I think about really following Jesus. You can't just make a, f- a short list of rules or even a long list of rules and say, we have to walk with God and wrestle with what's going on in our heart and in our mind and, and, and talk with Him. All of those things, and many more can be substitutes for the meaning that comes from having Christ at the center of our affections. They can, not always, but they can be substitutes for the peace that comes from having Christ at the center of our affections and knowing that he's in control. Um, in, in Oz Guinness's book, No God But God, he actually puts idols into two main categories or two under two umbrellas idols of control so an idol that helps me feel like I'm in control it gives me some comfort or sense that okay I've got some control but I'm pushing God out of the center I don't need God for this and idols of meaning this is something I do to feel important and feel like I, I matter my this is my identity I need this I cannot lose this I don't care what God thinks. I don't care if I have to do things that he wouldn't like um, to get that. So if that's true, wow, everything can be an idol, right? Good things can be an idol. Bad things can be an idol. So we think about the, the, the contrast of the um, monotheism of Christianity and the polytheism of the world of the New Testament and we realize our world's maybe not that different is it if that's true anything can be an idol the obvious the subtle anything that's a substitute for God at the center so how do we know when we have an idol operating in our hearts like what, what are the signs? What might be some things that would tip us off and be God trying to talk to us or get our attention? Well, I think there's some actually clues in the next section of this story. So let's continue to read um, at verse 28. 
And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were, with, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now, some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but when they recognized he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Can you imagine that? Shouting, angrily shouting, together, thousands of people. Uh, this, this last week, um, I travel for my job. I was in a hotel room and I saw just a bit of a movie that I'd seen before, Argo, where it talks, it shows kind of the uh, Iran hostage crisis back in 1979, 1980, and they depicted just the, um, the people who were taking over the U.S. Embassy in Tehran and they're shouting and screaming And it wasn't just like one or two people, but this mob of people with angry fists shouting. And and it's, I mean, if you imagine being in that and having it be focused at you, terrifying, um, scary stuff. So these tradesmen are enraged. They're whipped up into anger. They're shouting. There's confusion that's spread through the city. People join in. They don't, they don't even know exactly why they're mad, but they're mad too, right? I mean, they're, they're mad at something, which is also kind of part of our, our society today as well. Very easy to get people whipped up and angry, and people aren't even exactly sure why. They just have a general sense of, yes, I'm mad too. Let's do something about it. Um. Imagine how loud it would sound, this theater, which is actually an outdoor amphitheater built into a hill, which is designed for people to stand on a stage and kind of, you know, and, and an audience to be able to hear what's going on. Now, like some, these, these friends of Paul are dragged onto that platform, onto that stage as thousands of people are yelling and shouting at them for hours and hours. This Jewish man... Um, Alexander, the, the, the Jews, not a Christian, but these Jews were um, saying, hey, you should get out there and tell them, hey, uh, we also like believe in one God, but we're not with the Christians. We're not with them. That was basically what's going on there. He tries to get their attention. He can't even, he can't get them to quiet down. There's so much uh, rage there, um, so much shouting there. So I think there are a few clues here, maybe not the only uh, things to say about how we know when an idol is operating our heart, Um, but I wanted to share uh, two or three with you here for a moment. Number one, when we, we know there might be an idol in our heart when we become enraged, when we, when we feel like it's time to riot and we don't care what happens, when we kind of lose our grip, when we lose control, there might be an idol behind that, around that, and maybe one or 
two or three. Demetrius was angry, right? The crowd was angry. His speech made them, verse 28 says, enraged. That's a pretty good clue, if you didn't know it, that there were some idols uh, involved. Someone was attacking their, their city idol, their money idol, their pride idol. They rioted. They became unhinged. If we become unhinged, if I become unhinged, I should stop and think and look around for an idol in my own heart. We should look for one in our own heart. Uh, I'll tell you uh, an embarrassing story about an idol in my heart that um, was me coming a little unhinged just this past week. I should be much more mature than this, but I'm 51, but come on, man. Uh, I, I go to a gas station. I, like I, I told you, I tra- travel as a part of my job, and I'm uh, taking the rental car back to the airport, but from, this was an airport I hadn't been to. There were no gas stations near the airport, as sometimes is the case. I think they're all in cahoots, and that's done on purpose. But I had to kind of navigate away from the airport, finally found this gas station. I'm kind of getting a little, (laughs) looking at the watch, hoping I get there on time, Um, get to the gas station, pull the car up. It's kind of a little bit of a rundown gas station. I put my card in to kind of to pay, get the gas pump to work. Won't work. Nothing's happening. I'm pushing the buttons. Seems like what's going on here. I, I do this. I struggle with it for, you know, a minute or two. And then I'm like, well, I'll just go in and ask them to authorize the pump. I go in and said, ask the person at the counter, what, your, your machine isn't working. He said something. I couldn't quite even understand it. Um, so I, after talking with him briefly, I, I said, well, can I just I figured he was saying, look, just it doesn't work with the network on on the pumps. I'm like, okay, well, can I pay in here? And he says, well, how much do you, how much gas do you want? I said, I just need to fill it up. I don't know. He's like, kind of looks at me like, okay. So I'm, my blood pressure is kind of going up. and, And so I'm like, it's a rental, I say it's a rental car. I don't know how much I need to put in there. I just want to fill it up. He's like, so I walk out, I happen to see a gas station, like another gas station just across the street, and I'm, I walk back in and I said, I'm going to go across the street and get better service over there. And I might have not even said it that nice. <laughs> and then I walked out, kind of in a huff, I might have driven off, kind of quick, got gas somewhere else, and I felt kind of bad about it. And then... I was reminded that, boy, I'm talking about coming unhinged, and that might be a sign that there's an idol. What's, what is that idol? It's not our Artemis, but what if we gave our idols a name? What if I called that idol, things should go smooth for me? Smooth is the idol, is the goddess that, uh, that I am worshiping, and things don't always go smoothly. That's an idol that's, that I need to repent of, that I need work on, and I'm embarrassed that at 51, I'm, I still have that idol that I'm holding on to and is, is holding on to me. Um, really, those, those um, when we say, I have to have this, or I'm not okay, that's an idol. 
if this is taken from me and I'm not just, it's okay that when we lose things to be sad or disappointed or even irritated, I think. But if I'm ready to riot, there's probably an idol at work in my life, in my mind, in my heart. Because I've made something um, that is not central, not ultimate, I've made that an ultimate thing that I can't live without. It actually, I think it gives me some control that I'm influencing the world and in reality it's controlling me. Christ calls us to follow him and hold everything else loosely. And that's easy to say and hard to do, right? To follow him, to trust him, and hold everything else loosely. He says this is freedom, not bondage. To follow him wholeheartedly and let go of all of our idols is not an exaggeration or a hyperbole. He says that's freedom. Do we believe him? Number two, uh, when there's little difference in how we spend money compared to how those who are not followers of Jesus spend money, there might be an idol in our heart. There might be an idol in our heart. Uh, Does the gospel message have a financial impact in our life and and our community? In Ephesus, it did. In Ephesus, in just three years, it had a huge financial impact. Uh, earlier in chapter 19, we didn't take time to look at it, but um, the, we're, we're told that new Christians who had in their library, they had these books on magic and sorcery that they said, we're done with this stuff, we're turning away from it, and just so that we don't go back to it, we're going to put it in a pile and burn it. And so they burnt their books of magic and sorcery. And I think it's interesting that, that Luke, who writes the book of Acts, tells us exactly how much those books were worth. He gives it to us in um, terms of first century coinage, but those who've calculated this um, say that the amount was between seven and nine million dollars worth of books. Burnt. Wasted. And then, and then here in our passage, there is no little disturbance because now not only are Christians uh, like doing things differently with their own money, but now it's, they're not just getting rid of things, but their choices in how they spend money is actually impacting the local economy. That's got to be like lots of money, right? That's got to be millions and millions of dollars. Um, they found better things to spend their money on. So I just asked this question for, for all of us. How in our society, how is money spent on, in our culture? That's just a good question, I think, to, to think about. How, are, how is money spent on idols in our culture? Things that may be good things, but that have become idols. Perhaps sports, perhaps home improvement, perhaps beauty, politics, health. How was money spent and essentially wasted? How should people with no God but God spend money differently? Those are good questions to ask. I won't answer them. I'll just let you work on that. One last thing. 
Obviously, we have an idol operating on our heart when God's word says, do this, and you and I won't or can't. There's some idols operating there. The gospel is disruptive to to our lives. It's disruptive to just the way we would do things without God at the center of our lives. Um, And our refusals to obey God actually reveal our substitutes for him. What, What are your substitutes for God? What are the things that you're tempted to put in his place to give you meaning, to give you control, to give you comfort? When we do look to something else, what we're really showing is we have a higher allegiance to something other than God. Another question, how, how dangerous are idols? One thing would be to say, okay, either idols or something. Scott, um, you've, you've kind of made the points, idols aren't just a first century thing. They might possibly be operating in all of our lives in some regard. But we could say, well, okay, we all have idols. That's Shouldn't be that way, but not a big deal, right? Jesus forgives us. It's just the way it is. Uh, our passage actually gives us an illustration that it's a, a big deal. It's not just something to, to slough off or to ignore. Uh, let's read the last section together, beginning in verse 35. It's, verse 35 says, When the town clerk had quieted the crowd... He said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? It was actually a meteor that fell from the sky that they believed was a sign that they should build the temple in Ephesus. It was kind of a thing, I guess. That, you know, when a, when a meteor, would, it was like the gods have come down to us. Seeing that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further... It shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause for what we can give, that we can give uh, to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. The town clerk, who's actually a better title or uh, label for him, would be the mayor of Ephesus gets up and he's actually able to get the attention of the crowd and says calm down the reality here is our temple's still here take a breath okay our opportunity is still here take a breath and and though Demetrius wants you to think that the danger is from these Christians where he says we're actually in danger of being charged with rioting. And one of the things that the Roman Empire tolerated not at all was rioting from its subjects. And the danger that could happen would be that Rome would come in and say, you are rioting, you are a rebellious bunch, we are going to level, we don't need you, we're going to level this city, we're going to destroy it. That was the real danger because Demetrius had stirred up this out-of-control situation. 
In fact, Rome actually did that in Jerusalem in 70 AD, less than 20 years later. Rome came in because Jerusalem, uh, the people of Jerusalem were rebellious and riotous. And Rome said, we're done. Um, In Ephesus, Demetrius and his idol created a dynamic where everything started spinning out of control. Um, We shouldn't tolerate our idols because they're destructive and dangerous and they cause our lives and the lives of people we care about and the life of our community to be hurt, to spin out of control. We hurt people. We hurt ourselves. Not to mention we hurt our God who loves us, gave himself for us. Um, One scripture I wanted to point you to um, before our time is up is uh, Psalm 115. It's actually, if you have your bulletin, it's um, printed on the front page of the bulletin. Describes idols, and the the last lines I think are very interesting. I want you to, to, to kind of pay attention to the comparison here. It says, It's talking about idols. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. So you can picture like a statuette, right? Can't talk, can't, it's got eyes, you know, can't, hands, can't do anything. Here's the kicker. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The eyes that are supposed to work don't work. The hands that are supposed to feel don't feel. The feet that are supposed to walk don't walk. When we make idols, when we are okay with just having idols in our lives, it is destructive to us. It makes us weak. It makes us dysfunctional. Nothing works right unless God's in the center. And then things start to work the way they're supposed to. So some of our idols, I said before, we know are a problem. Um, They represent life done apart from God, something that just doesn't belong in our life. We know it. It might be an attitude. It might be unforgiveness. It might be a critical spirit. It might be a behavior or anger or habit. You know what those are. Other idols in our lives, we're probably still discovering them. And that's okay, but we should be looking for them and getting rid of them. God wants us to be free of them all because he set us free. He saved us to set us free. How do we get free from idols? We let go of the idol. We set it down. We leave it behind with the belief that we are then able to hold on to something better. We're able to hold on to Christ. We're able to hold on to our God. That's what happened in the early church. They left their idols to hold on to something better. They let go of idols to hold on to something better and it changed people's lives. Not just a little Not just a nice thing to do on Sunday, kind of a thing that they did. It changed their life completely. It changed their community. It's a turning. So we have to ask ourselves today, what is the turning 
that God is asking us to make from what idol? Not just idols. What are your idols today? Um, When we do that, when we take our idols seriously and we turn to the freedom that Christ died to provide for us out of bondage, then we can have eyes that see, ears that hear, noses that smell, hands that feel, feet that walk, because our trust is in no God but God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, the dramatic telling of the story Luke provides for us and the message of freedom from idols. Gospel that takes on destructive idols in our world, in our families, in our lives. Help us, Lord. Free us. We thank you for the fact that you forgive us for our idols. We ask that you would free us from them as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.